This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Noby Williams, and this is the Fanatics and Nike are doing more together. Sports business podcast, The Sportacast. This is also the Evan is in a hotel room. Oh, by the way, welcome back. <laughs> we should you, start there. You. Welcome back. So we were speculating as to what you were doing when Jacob Feldman filled in for you. You want to tell everybody what you were doing? I was in my partner and I went to Scotland for 10 days uh, and she and I spent some time on the coast. We did some backpacking up in the hills of Skye, one of the inner Hebrides. And then we went to Edinburgh for five days and it was wonderful. We got the full Scotland experience, Scott. There was times when it was howling wind and raining sideways. There were times when it was beautiful. Uh, the, 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 the landscape was great. We hit some distilleries. It was a, it was a good trip. Any fights? No fights. No. Although the, really? the backpacking trip, there were some hairy moments in there where uh, <laughs> it looked like we had bit off more than we could chew. And that was uh, squarely my fault. <laughs> but, but when we, you say, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. When you say it looks like we bit off more than we could chew, that to me, knowing you <laughs> means you planned something that was fine for you. But perhaps she struggled with. It was a bit more intense than than I expected it was going to be. But it was again. There was the if you don't know what they say. If you don't like the weather in Scotland, wait five minutes. It'll change. Yeah. Uh, th- yeah there were moments where blue skies turned to uh, very cloudy skies in in a matter of seconds. But on the whole, it was a great trip. I recommend Scotland to anyone who has not gone or people who have been should go again. All right. Well, I'll give you the... Uh, that would never happen to me because I grew up in a military family and my father had the seven Ps, proper prior planning prevents <laughs> poor performance. So you just yeah, I was, I was good on like maybe three Ps, not all seven. All right. You did the prior planning. It just wasn't proper. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> all right. Now you did your big opening about Fanatics and Nike. And this is a big deal. One, I mean, two giant brands, Nike and Fanatics. But it's a big deal from the fanatic side, because one, it just sort of grows the empire even further, but it entrenches them even even more with Nike. And I think there's a part of the business that people do not understand for fanatics. And you tell me, I think you agree with this, that they produce merch with other logos on it. And, and I don't think people really understand that's a, that's a part of their business. But this is now focused on the college the college merch business. That, that's right. So for a few years, a lot of the essentially all of the Nike merchandise that that baseball and NFL fans were buying. So that's sideline shirts, headgear, replica jerseys, all that stuff. The, the, the stuff that bears the Nike logo. Almost all of that is made by Fanatics. Did you it, really it say a, headgear? Did you go for headgear? <laughs> Gear, headwear, hats. Hats. Yeah, come on. You're like, oh, hats. you know, the baseball player. Hats. Yes. Okay, <laughs> exactly. thank you. Yeah, Man, so, press release jargon. Evan Novi Williams. All right. right. It's your first day back right. after, you know, <laughs> yeah, a, 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 
not difficult time here in Edinburgh. Yeah, sorry. Edinburgh. Uh, yeah, so this is something, as you said, I think it's, it's, it's a part of the Fanatics business that not a lot of people know about. It's a really valuable part of the Fanatics business, I think, for two reasons. And you hit on both of them right there. One, it just provides scale for Fanatics. So much of the stuff that people buy... The fan gear that people buy is stuff from Nike. Uh, people like the, the product. They like the swoosh. Nike does a really good job marketing it. All those things are really valuable. And for Fanatics to have a hand in producing all of those things, that's obviously really good for them from a scale perspective. And the second thing is that the, the more Fanatics can get interwoven into this business, the, 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 this, the more safely ensconced it is, the, the bigger the moat is around its business. So Nike does a lot of stuff in the pros. It does a lot of stuff in college as well. They sponsor some of the biggest schools in the NCAA. And now under, under a deal that was announced this week, Fanatics is going to be making all of the fan gear for most of Nike's big time college programs. I don't know. I don't know. What's your name? A few of those. If people aren't familiar, what are some of those programs? Alabama, uh, Florida, Michigan, Penn State. I think I looked at the list yesterday of of the 20 school, the top 20 schools in in the final college football rankings last year. I think Nike sponsored 17 of them uh, just to give you a sense of just how big Nike's portfolio is here. So yes, uh, fanatics is is expanding. here, going to make a lot of that gear that that Nike gear that, that people buy. And that's good for, for fanatics. It's good for Nike, I think as well. Nike does a lot of things really well. It can kind of de- not deleverage, but it can decomplicate, make make simpler its 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 college relationships now because they don't have to touch this product at all. They can sell it kind of through their own touch points or through Fanatics touch points, but they just get a royalty fee for every every item there. Fanatics does all the work, handles it all on the PNL, the the cost, the revenue, etc. So it makes it simple for for Nike to keep doing these deals and to focus on the things it does well, and those being as I mentioned, marketing these deals and two developing the the on-field product, the authentic jerseys, the authentic caps, the authentic s- sneakers that the athletes are wearing, the performance stuff. I, I love when you're in a hotel or where I'm somewhere where the Wi-Fi probably isn't quite as good as the home. So you're a little herky-jerky on the screen. The words don't quite match. You know, Coming out of your mouth is when I hear them. And then you say decomplicate. And I know. I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. You're back from vacation and, and you're in a hotel, which I absolutely love. But you said marketing. Nike's really good at marketing. And we didn't discuss this. Okay, if I go on a tangent, though, it's almost time for a tangent absolutely. trumpet right here. Please. All right. So, so if Matt Whitehurst is listening, put the tangent trumpet in right now. Make way for a Sportico Tangent. Have you seen, and it's been online now, the uh, the ad for Coors Light with Pat Mahomes? I have not seen the ad for Coors Light. All right. So, you know, the NFL rules prohibit a player from sort of like, you know, you can't go hold a beer in an advertisement if you're an NFL player. Sure. The rules prohibit that. So what Coors Light did is they, they have, I guess they, goes to the refrigerator, I think, and take it out. But it's a flashlight. It's a silver flashlight. It's a Coors light. <laughs> and they're now selling Coors lights. And That's proceeds great. will go to the charity. So they're getting a lot of sort of, you know, the social traction. It's almost like the company that came up with the superb owl, you know, all the marketing at the Super Bowl, they just move one letter over. You could you because you can't use the Super Bowl mark. So they do superb owl. Well, it's the same here. It's literal Coors Light. And it even says like, wait, this isn't a beer. It's a flashlight. <laughs> so <laughs> you got to get clever. creative. And, and, I, and I that will, was creative. That. <laughs> but I do laugh that you talk about, oh, you know, this helps fanatics with scale. Man, like when I think of fanatics, I think of existing scale. So, I mean, now 
But besides like the secrets to the to their success, and let's say the two words at the same time, because we joke about it for decades now. What are, what are the two words secret for vertical fanatics? Ready? Three, two, one. Vertical integration. Yeah, there you go. See, this is what happens when you're in a hotel room. We can't quite sync that <laughs> We're up. We're off sync. Yeah. But, but yeah, my three is your one, and there you go. You're off and running. But uh, I, I think of fanatics as great scale, but uh, pushing pushing harder into the college uh, business. And like you said, for Nike, it allows them to focus on sort of core competency. They don't have to worry about doing things that like Fanatics is better set up to do. There's a playbook here for Fanatics in the way in which it became, as you said, this this kind of monopolistic as this empire in the pro sports, in the world of pro sports licensed apparel. It is now taking that to college. And we discussed a few months ago this deal that they have making using tops to make for the first time a comprehensive set of college sports trading cards. They have a partnership with one team where they're going to try to sell the jerseys of, of of stars with their number and their name on it. That's obviously a, a allowed now because of NIL. Fanatics is also doing big 10-year deals, 10-year like master licensing deals with a lot of the biggest schools in, in, in the country as well. And now you layer this Nike deal on top of it. The, the way Fanatics became essential in the pro sports landscape is that it cut deals with the rights holders, so the teams in the leagues. It cut deals with the biggest companies, that the manufacturers like your Nikes. Uh, and it cut deals with the distribution and became essentially an essential part of all of those, the, the, all of the different spokes of that industry. And the now hub of the ecosystem. That, and exactly. And it's, now it's doing the same thing in college. Yeah, like when you said like big ten year contracts, like to me, I hear Big Ten and like I just you know sort of you know shimmy and shake. I'm talking UCLA and USC and Kevin Warren and that, that's growing. But what I love about this, by the way, from from an ecom standpoint, and let me know if you agree that I think you're going to get a lot more passion buys here because you know there's an upset. Auburn beats Alabama, and you can sell I don't know how many T-shirts right there just from that one game. Like that doesn't happen in the pros a lot, but it does seem to happen in the college game. I think it's a real good ecom opportunity here. No question. And and there's parts of the country, you know this, particularly in the SEC, there's parts of the country where college sports is the is the pro sport. Yeah. Fanatics, it can have all of the rights across all of the, the pro sports in the US, but there's huge pockets of the country where there just aren't that many pro sports where the, the local college, your Tennessee, your your Auburn, your your uh, your your UGA is essentially the college is, is the biggest pro the, the biggest franchise in town. So from a data perspective, which we talk about a lot and, and, and Fanatics loves to tout its 80 million sports fan user base and all that, that just just being bigger in college also helps it geographically reach into other parts of the country where there aren't as many pro teams. All right. Should we tout our own John Wall Street, Corey Leff? Let, let, I mean, uh, I read it every morning. It, it hits at like six, six o'clock in the morning at 6.01. I'm there one making sure it did arrive. Fine. You know, you sometimes get the tech glitches. Uh, but I, I read it every morning and I really enjoyed his recent article talking about the Apple MLS deal. And I think for, Corey did a good thing here. He kind of focused uh, on the Apple side of things. You know, we know why MLS did this deal. We, we, we understand why MLS and if anybody's unsure, they can, they can go read. I mean, MLS has a fan base. The Venn diagram of Apple users and, and MLS fans, there's sort of a big, uh, a big incorporation there. So they, they also needed somebody willing to pony up lots and lots of money. Now, I'm not saying the linear TV networks weren't going to pay for MLS rights. I'm saying they weren't going to pay as much as they got from Apple. And if anybody from MLS disagrees or wants to, you know, take up that point with me, I'm happy to do it anytime, even on this show, if they want, because you know we do make our phone calls here, and uh, I I don't think it's it's arguable that the linear TV networks were going to pay as much as Apple did, because that was 
10 years, $2.5 billion minimum guarantee. On top of that, there's going to be a subscription product where they'll show revenue for those who sign up, uh, name to be determined, uh, price to be determined. But the interesting part here is that he said Apple wants to distribute rights. Apple does not wish to be a rights holder because we're now in a world where NBA rights are coming, Big Ten rights are coming. These are tier one big dollar items. And you just wonder who are going to be the bidders. Obviously, more bidders, more money. Uh, But it seems as if Apple has absolutely, if this deal is an indication of what they're trying to do, they're fine being a distributor of rights, but they sure as heck don't want to own them. And they bring a lot to the table for leagues, right? All the things you just mentioned. And then you also factor in iTunes as a platform and the Apple podcasting platform. There's there's all these other ways for other content to be distributed. Apple is its own ecosystem. And, and, And we have talked for leagues that partner with ESPN, the value of the promotion that 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 comes with being on the ESPN homepage. Well, Apple has the newsfeed. One one of the the principal ways that a lot of Americans get their news for for a lot of Americans, it's the main way. Um, and for MLS to have some kind of priority to get better integration or even just better data capture and share from a product like Apple's newsfeed is such a huge advantage. Also, so you're right. It, Apple wants to be a distributor, not just a holder. It also, in all of these conversations, I'm sure, is touting the full ecosystem, the things that Apple can offer that a company like even an ESPN can't just because of the the, the massive you know the, the network of platforms that Apple has and the many different ways in which Americans use them for news, for entertainment, for podcasts, etc. All right, I'm very interested then for, for what you just said. Let's say you, you're selling widgets, Noby Williams. You're looking to sell widgets for sports fans, right? Yeah. You can get promotion from one entity, Apple or Disney. Where are you telling me you can get more promotion for your widgets to sports fans? Sounds like great- you just said Apple. It's a great question, I think, right? I mean, and, and, and it, it maybe depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for kind of true tried in the dyed in the wool sports fans, they obviously interact with ESPN, many of them on a, on a daily or even hourly basis during the yeah, day. Gary but, Bettman, I think Gary Bettman would say, give me ESPN every day of the week. I think that's right. If you're looking for maybe people who aren't sports fans, yeah, I think it's a. It, it maybe is an interesting question. One of the things that, that that you're asking that question made me think about. You know, I, I, I was talking to an MLS executive today in, in in a city, a fairly big city, where there's a lot of other sports teams, and this executive was saying that they don't see that much overlap between. The, the fans of this MLS team in town and all the other sports fans in town. And it's a big pitch for their sponsors, right? They go to sponsors in town and say, look, you can, you can be up, you can be in with the NBA team and the NFL team. And that's great. But we are offering a fan base that doesn't overlap a lot with their fan base. We're kind of a separate ecosystem. So I do wonder if for, for, if for MLS, they obviously would love to be on ESPN. They have been for a while. There's a decent chance. There's still a simulcast kind of regular broadcast package out there. There's a chance that that's going to end up with ESPN. But yes, I think I'd say be- a- I'd say better than a chance. I'm, can I do a, my yeah. Kreskin? I'm going to do my Kreskin <laughs> thing, my, my prediction. Yeah, you're you're gonna you're gonna see MLS games on ESPN. Awesome. So so you in some ways are going to get some of that, or, or, or it seems like you're going to get both if you're if you're MLS. But yes, I think if, if you are the ability to have some kind of priority or access or presence on the Apple News side, just that part of the Apple ecosystem, let alone the the, the millions of devices that are in the pockets of, of people all around the world that, that are controlled by Apple. But just the news portion, I think, is a really interesting part of this for sure. Yeah. Now, I, when do 
fans or maybe just youngers, I, I went upstairs to my focus group of one's room earlier and he's homesick and he's on, he, he's at his Xbox desk. He's watching an MLB game. I'm like, wait, how are you watching that? He's like on the MLB app. I'm like, you get that with the, with the game pass, you know, subscription, the gold pass, whatever I pay for each month. He said, no. So I have no idea how he's watching the MLB app, but he's watching the game on the Xbox with the phone in his hand, watching TikTok while also uh, texting his friends about something he just seen. Welcome so to is that fanhood, right? Well, yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but is that is that the fan Don Garber is courting with this deal? He's saying, you know, the heck with the old guy, me. Even though I just saw something like more people, people over fifty, are responsible for more like the growth in streaming more than any other demo. I saw that on Twitter earlier. So, ha, take that. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm I'm guessing that. The fact that MLS and Apple signed a 10-year deal, and the stress here is not this is not a broadcast rights deal, it's a partnership. Like you gotta give, you have to give something when you're creating a new channel, which is in essence what they're doing, a subscription channel for all, you know, all things MLS on this subscription. Uh, you, you know, you gotta produce it, you, you gotta get it out there, you have to build the fan base, you gotta drive subscriptions, you gotta, you know, you gotta give it time. You're planting the seed, you gotta watch it grow. Germination, right? So it takes time. Could you do that in three years, five years, seven years? I don't know. But um, should there be trepidation on the side of MLS owners? Because let's just say, if it works, wonderful. If it works, great. But I think you do need to ask, what if it doesn't? What if the hypothesis, the theories are all wrong? What if we don't get a lot of subscriptions? I mean, you're still getting the guaranteed payment, so that that's good. But um, but what is the long-term effect if you're not growing the fan base? Like 10 years is a long time. You know, these games and technology changes one, three, five years. They're going 10 years out. That's that's really hard to look that far out. Yeah, there's a lot of MLS teams that are going to, just from a local TV viewership standpoint, are going to lose a fairly significant amount probably of their of their, of their nightly audience, right? If, if you are an MLS team that has a, a deal with your local broadcast channel for your games, it's not paying you a lot of money, if if any money at all, but it is getting a decent amount just because it's a broadcast TV deal, it's probably getting you a fairly decent amount of eyeballs. And, and that helps you sell ticket packages. That helps you sell sponsorships, et cetera. You're, 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 a lot of those teams are going to be facing just smaller numbers now. And, and, and that is a reality of doing this deal. They're obviously aware of that. that. That comes with diving in exclusively into the streaming side. But but I think you're right. You're asking the right question, Scott. It's it's yeah. There's there's obviously an inherent risk here as well, and it's going to take years, plural years, to, to figure out exactly where that netted out. So let me put on my Adam Silver hat. That if I'm Adam and I read that op-ed from Corey, is Apple going to bid on NBA rights, or is Apple not going to bid on NBA rights? Do I need a separate NBA subscription channel? Uh, you know, cause like the first OT leak pass, people like talk about like, Oh, we got OTT and it's so new. And what a fresh product, like league pass in essence was the first OTT and God, that's been around forever. So, I mean, that's where you can watch every game every night, you know, sort of like your, your NFL, um, Sunday ticket. Now there's a lot to talk about there. We'll do it next time maybe. Um, but if I'm Adam Silver and I'm the NBA owners, do I say, Oh, this is nice. Apple is going to be at the table when, when, when we need somebody, yes or no. Uh, you're happy, of course. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the adage but, uh, of the show, they show, more bidders equals more money, right? Yeah, but I, that's the question. Are they a bidder? Will Apple show up for tier one uh, NBA rights? That's, I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That's going to be a lot of money. And by the way, MLS was willing, I think, part partly out of need 
and partly out of what the deal was um, to go full streaming. You know, there'll be a we talked about. Yes, there'll be a component of linear. That's fine. I don't believe there's a single tier one top top of funnel sport league out there, NFL, NBA. That's ready to do that. I mean, you get your scale via still via linear television. That's how you get your scale. You do a portion of it streaming, but you don't do your dominant part of your deal that way. So, you know that it'll be very interesting to see if if they're at the table and what sort of what sort of package they're interested in. All right, but speaking of the NBA, I thought this was a great story. The NBA and the NBPA got together and they are going to fund former ABA players, those who never qualified for a pension in the NBA. I jotted down, uh, it affects about 115 players. Players that qualify will get about 3800 bucks per year for each year of service in the league. So I, you hear about former players all the time saying, what about us? Take care of us. The significant part to me here that this is a jointly funded effort. It was the Players Association and the NBA contributing. And listen, you can you can say, oh, it's only 24 million bucks. What's that to the players and the owners, right? What's that? It's something. Like they 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 showed that at least they were listening, right? And it's and it may be not that much for the owners and the players. It seems like it is a lot for a lot of these former ABA players, yeah. players who were in the ABA in the 60s and 70s before the ABA and the NBA merged. And from what I understand, I wasn't alive back then, but the merger, there was only a few teams from the ABA that moved up and it essentially put Correct. a lot of professional athletes out of work almost immediately. And in a lot of the reporting around this deal this week, Scott, I've read a whole lot about how how dire the situation is financially for a lot of these ABA players. I, I think a number of them who were included in this list of potential possibilities for, for money have died in the course of the time it took for, for this whole thing to get hammered out. And shout out to Dropping Dimes, which has been advocating for them for, for a long time now. Um, and this is just a small part of what they what they want or feel like they're owed. But it does certainly seem like this money, while maybe a drop in the bucket for some of the some of the the richest NBA owners and 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 the players in a collective, uh, really seems like it could be potentially life changing for a lot of people who helped build professional basketball back when it was nothing close to the commercial product that it is right now. And when anytime I bring up ABA NBA, I have to bring up the Silner brothers. Like if you're not aware. Of what may be the best business All deal, time. sports business deal ever cut. Yeah, I'm not going to go into it here, but let's just say you had an opportunity to take a one time payment or a percentage of future NBA broadcast revenue. Uh, lots of people took the one time money, and the Silner brothers said, no, 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 why don't we, you know, hey, who knows what this NBA thing might become? Why don't we take a portion of future revenue? And of course, it grew to such an extent that the NBA owners, like for years, were like, all right, we got to come up with a payment to get out of this. We need to end this deal every time at Mushrooms. We can't be cutting them in. And they did. You know, years ago, they did finally, you know, end that deal with a, with a one time payment. But if you're not familiar with Google, Silner Brothers, NBA, ABA, and, uh, and I think you'll get, a, you get a, a, a kick out of people with some forethought. Speaking of forethought, how about Tiger Woods looking ahead? Talking about uh, the Live Golf Tour, and we everybody's waiting to hear Four. from Tiger, right? <laughs> I like that. Four. Thank you. Yeah, but we everybody was waiting to hear from Tiger, and well, let's just say he I, he didn't really hold back. You know, it's Tiger was like, and 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 I, I chuckled a little bit because of course Tiger's got you know Boku bucks, and he made all you know, as much as he didn't still and still does. Um, all the arguments I get. What about history? What about tradition? What about you know the, um, the the tradition of golf? What about following in footsteps? I get it. 
I get, but nowhere in in his whole statement did he really address the. These guys are getting paid a lot of money, <laughs> you know, and that's okay. These independent contractors are getting paid a lot of money, whether they whether they win or lose. Um, you know, and Tiger sort of discounted that. What what's the motivation to practice and be better and test yourself if you're making all the money? I just I like so I said I chuckled at that point, but there are many in golf who agree with him. Two two things that I thought really interesting about Tiger's what, what he what he said this week. One is that he never once mentioned. Saudi money didn't even, you know, go to the criticism that a lot of people have regarding um, re- regarding the way that, that this thing is being funded and, and whether there is a moral issue or, or a political issue behind it. The, the second thing, which I thought I think is also interesting, is that Tiger Woods, n- no one in the history of golf financially has go- has golfed the sport and PGA the tour been more beneficial to than than tiger and, and we've talked about the way the many ways in which the pga tour this setup is maybe not great financially for some of the best golfers in the world that has been papered over for tiger by the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that he's made outside of of, of playing tournaments on the pga tour sponsorships that have been awarded to him because he was such a good golfer and and a dominant brand on tour for so long so it, it is interesting to me i think for a lot of golfers even if they agree with what Tiger said, understand that they're in a very different financial position than what Tiger is is in. He has generational wealth already locked up and a legacy already locked up. A lot of very good golfers, up and comers, or, or maybe even stars right now, are still fighting in some ways for those things. So Tiger Woods, in some ways, is the perfect voice to to to, to maybe be a voice of reason on this topic. And in some ways, he's also the worst voice. Because he's just operating from a financial a, a financial safety that that essentially no one else in golf has. All right. Well, Tiger wasn't the only one with his eyes on Live PGA. Also, how about the Department of Justice investigating whether the PGA is engaged in anti-competitive practices? Not the first time, by the way, that the PGA has been investigated for this. In essence, they're saying that by suspending players and not allowing them to to participate in Live events. That uh, that they are just uh, practicing anti-competitive practices. Scott, would you rather right now be the commissioner of the Pac-12 or be the commissioner of the PGA Tour? Would I rather be the commissioner of the Pac-12, George Klyovkov, or would I rather be Jay Monahan, the Tough commissioner? Because you're saying both have both have challenging times. I think is is, is what is you're exactly saying, what right? I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, that's what you're saying. That's a very good question. Uh, boy, I'd have, I, I know this podcast. I probably have to come up with a knee-jerk answer. <laughs> I would rather be Pac-12. I'd rather be George Klyovkov right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm obviously asking because I think they're they're both, um, and you can draw parallels between what's happened. I think they're both kind of in some somewhat existential crises right now as the sport yeah. fundamentally changes the the rules of the business side of the sport fundamentally change kind of underneath them. But yeah, I, the, the PGA Tour was in a tough position before the Department of Justice was looking into to all this, and and yeah, it just got even tougher depending on how serious this is and 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 what what specifically they're looking at. Yeah, the, the, this the, these last few months have not been kind to the PGA Tour and its future. And the only, and I'll tell you why the knee jerk, why I said that. I, I just believe pro sports, particularly golf, is so heavy on stars that like you know Tiger's Tiger, but like I don't his certainly his best years are behind him. Like Tiger on the leaderboard, all that. Like, you can't rest on on Tiger anymore. Um, the more the superstar players are playing live, the eyeballs will follow, um, and I don't think you can you can ignore that. At 
least with college sports, there's still a more of that alma mater, the collective, the there's not just the big sports, there are the others. And the change is so fast there that who knows what will happen with USC, UCLA, and you know, I, I who knows who will rush in to fill that void. That, that I think there's still still valuable programming on a global basis for the Pac-12. Of course, it hurts to lose UCLA and, and USC. I get it. Like, I'm, I'm not naive, but I think there's there's a lot to play with there. So uh, of particular value to to who knows you know what entity right now. It just there's a lot of value that has yet to be unlocked. No, you? What do you agree? I, I agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Yeah. I, I agree with all that. All right. Well, uh, that 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 uh, short and sweet agreement from Mr. Novi Williams. You can find him on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick. You can find me on Twitter at Soshnick. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. Our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She likes it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. 